Good morning. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning. And the passage is Matthew 9, uh, chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, that is Jesus, heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. This is the reading of God's word. Okay, well, I'll stand and you sit. And... um... In Matthew 9, in fact, if you, if, you, if you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. As you're turning there, let me, let me just put um, a couple of questions in front of us that I, I hope will, will help us sort of as guideposts through this passage, uh, verses 14 through 17 this morning. I wonder if um, Christianity for you is primarily a religion about God. And what I mean by that is you you, you study him and and you do religious things um, and you don't do those other bad things um, because that's what you, you have to do to be a Christian. Or... Is Christianity for you primarily a relationship with God? You hear Him. You you know Him. You you love Him. You, you, You gladly obey and serve Him because He loves you. And 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 you live always in the awareness of His great love for you. And I want to encourage you this morning not to so much answer those, that question with your head, 
Uh, don't go too quickly to, you know, okay, I know what the answer is supposed to be. Um, I, I want to encourage you to hear the scriptures this morning, as always, with, with your conscience, with, with, with a heart that says to God, illumine your word that I might truly hear you. In the scriptures we've just heard read, Jesus insists that he did not come into this world to patch you up with some religion. Uh, he, he came to make you new, different, uh, ever-changing, more and more like him, less and less like those who do not know him, who live apart from his grace. And he, and he will do so for all who surrender to him. In the scriptures we've just heard read, Jesus insists that you cannot add him to whatever it is you're using to fix yourself or satisfy yourself uh, and expect it to work. Expect it to please God. Christ alone is sufficient for you. And and this is all over your Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, as you know. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Our risen, ascended King, Jesus, declares from his throne still today, behold, I am making all things New. In Matthew 9, Jesus describes real Christianity by way of parables in response to a question from religious people, a question about religion. And, and I want to just remind you that, that parables basically make one point. Uh, if, 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 you, if you look at a parable in Scripture and you try to get it to answer all of the questions you have about life, you, you've gone off course. It's not designed to do that. It's meant to illustrate a single salient point um, that we might grasp it and live by it. And, and so with God's help, we're just going to um, look at verses 14 through 17 this morning um, and, and seek to grasp and live by these truths that our King uh, gives to us through these parables. One is to do with a wedding, uh, and then another is to do with a garment, and then wine. Look at verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, re- remember the context. We just We just heard it read to us. King Jesus has just called into his eternal kingdom um, the least likely person to be a Christian. Uh, He calls the least qualified person uh, to to follow him, to be his disciple, Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, Levi, is as despised by his own people, the Jews, as he is alienated from God. And yet Matthew is now becoming a living enactment of the Beatitudes that he would later record in chapter 5 of his gospel. Once lost in sin, 
and, and self-sufficiency, uh, self-direction. Matthew, by God's grace, is now poor in spirit. He, he mourns over his sinfulness before God. He, he's lowly of heart, and he's been called by God's irresistible grace to enter the kingdom of heaven and to live in allegiance to heaven's king. This king, our Jesus, who is sufficient to forgive sin, who is sufficient to straighten all that is crooked in the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, simply says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew drops his old life like a hot coal, no turning back, and he follows Jesus. Matthew begins living a new life in Christ. Or we could say, Matthew enters the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gate of repentance and allegiance to the king. And the thing of it is, everything changes for Matthew. It's not just sort of a dusted off, improved version of his old self. Jesus begins making all things new in Matthew's life. Matthew is a new creation, alive to God, growing in godliness, setting aside sin and selfishness, he, he's enlivened to follow his king. And so he does. And so glad and grateful is Matthew for the love and acceptance of King Jesus that he throws a huge party for Jesus. He's got the cash and he's got the sweet house that allows him to do this. Um, what, what providence has, had allowed Matthew to accumulate as a tax collector is now put in use for the kingdom of God. And, and this is a time for feasting. So, so all of Matthew's dirtbag friends are invited to this party, um, not because he has to invite them, because he wants to invite them. He wants them to experience this Jesus who forgives sinners, who's the friend of sinners, whom he calls to himself. So in verse 14, and I, you, you were thinking we wouldn't get to that, but in verse 14, the, the party is in full swing. And so there, there's music, there's laughter, uh, the joyful feasting, and then two groups of men show up, um, perhaps in succession, and one group, you know, they've got really sour faces, uh, another group had more, more kind of like puzzled looks on their faces. And, and the Pharisees, the, the, the sour guys, show up, all of them looking like they need another Rolaids. And, um, you know, somebody's having a good time and they'd like to, to put a stop to that. And um, the, the Pharisees complain, who is this Jesus, the rabbi, who actually hangs out with sinners, who actually keeps company? with people whose lives reek with their rebellion against God. And then they also question Jesus for not instructing his disciples to fast. Mark's gospel tells us that um, the Pharisees show up 
as do some of John's disciples. And so we really have to deal with, with both of them. And, and the question is what? How come we're acting really religious and you aren't, Jesus, by our measure? And you aren't instructing your people to act really religious by our measure. What's your deal? The Pharisees, professional religious people, are fasting. Probably this interaction occurred on a Monday or a Thursday because the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Um, They didn't have to do that. In in fact, God's law only prescribed one day of fasting each year, the Day of Atonement. There would be other fasts for times of national sorrow, national need, that sort of thing. But but this Monday-Thursday thing, that was their idea, not God's idea. But they they figure in their own hearts, you know, God's law is not enough. Um, we, We can be more religious than that. And so they actually added hundreds of things, as you know, uh, to God's moral and ceremonial law. And and, and in the area of fasting, uh, you know, going without food, uh, they made quite a show show of of this unnecessary phony fasting. They, They wanted to be seen by others as devout. And so they frowned and they feigned weakness and people would say, oh, my, what's happening to you? And they would say, oh, well, I'm just so spiritual, you see. I'm, I'm, I'm having eaten. Uh, although that was probably a lie because they actually allowed themselves to chow down after the sun went down on a day of fasting because the people wouldn't see that. This is all for show. They, they put white ash on their heads to, to look like people who were just so, so devout. And so their question to Jesus, are you still listening? Just hang in there. There's a long wind up here. Um, their question to Jesus is not sincere. It's, it's not objective. They, uh, it, it's meant to be a rebuke, a, a sharp criticism. And, and, and now along come, uh, along come the disciples of John the Baptist and uh, you, you see there in verse 14, they actually have the same question, but they're, they're, they have a different motive for asking this. They're not fasting to be seen by others. They're fasting because they've been following their leader, John, uh, who, who lived on locusts and honey and was calling God's people to repentance and baptism to prepare for the king who was coming, the Messiah who was coming. And by this time, John has already identified Jesus as this Messiah, this king. In fact, it was John who had baptized Jesus. And some of John's disciples, perhaps most of John's disciples, have already rightly left John, and, and they're, they're following Jesus. Um, their decision was made easier by the fact that John the Baptist is now in prison. Uh, he's about to have his head cut off. But nonetheless, many of John's disciples are now following Jesus, but some are not. Some are not. They're they're still confused about this. They're still living and preaching in that preparatory way of John the Baptist, um, even though the king has now come. My my point is, for these guys, it's possible that they're just not yet convinced. They're just still not connecting with the enormity of what has happened. 
in the coming of Jesus the King. They don't realize that the time for sorrowful fasting that would be congruent with repentance, mourning over sin, has passed. The, the, the time for feasting has begun because the king is here. See, different motives, but two groups asking the same question. Religious people wondering about religion and Jesus. And that brings us to the beginning of, of this morning's message. Um, it be, be brings us to the, the, the first of these three parables. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to them, Can the attendants of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? A wedding, obviously, um, evidences a, a new beginning. And it's a glad time. It's a time of great joy and anticipation of future blessing for a husband and a wife. To have a bunch of people moping around at a wedding is completely disassociated from the reality of what is happening. And King Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. The, the, the long-awaited uh, sin-forgiving deliverer, the Messiah, promised all the way back in Genesis 3, foreshadowed all throughout the Old Testament, has come. And Jesus comes as a bridegroom comes for his bride. The, the, the great cause of, of humanity's mourning, sin's curse, and in all of its aspects, is now being defeated. In, in fact, there, there, there's a day coming when, when the, the curse of sin in all of its aspects will be gone, eradicated, conquered by the king for his people, the bridegroom for his bride. Do you believe this? This king, this Jesus is God with us. He's Emmanuel. We read that earlier in Matthew's gospel. God himself has come in Christ to marry himself to his sinful people. This is no funeral. A time for fasting. This is a wedding. And it's a time for feasting. Jesus is the bridegroom spoken of by the prophets who would marry himself to his people despite their unfaithfulness, despite their unworthiness, despite their filthiness as measured against the holiness of God, despite their inability to ever deserve him, the bridegroom comes for his bride. Hosea 2 says this, God says, I will betroth you to me forever. Indeed, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know Yahweh. You, you won't just know about him, you'll know him. Like, like, a, like a bride knows her groom. Jesus has come to purchase his people for himself, to buy his bride the way Hosea was told to go and purchase that whore 
named Gomer. You remember that from a couple of years ago or whenever it was? The same loyal love lavished upon Gomer, undeserved and costly, is to be lavished upon God's people in Christ, the bridegroom. Christian Jesus came to buy you for himself. Not not with shekels and barley like Hosea bought Gomer, but with his own blood at Calvary. The bridegroom has come. This is a time for for feasting. And and, and so to, to be a Christian, just think of the enormity of this. To be a Christian is to be purchased, redeemed by the king, your bridegroom, for his love's sake. It's not to be admitted into a a cold, dry, religious system. To be a Christian is not simply to become religious. The world is full of religious people. I would say most people in some form are religious. To be a Christian is to know God and to serve God and enjoy God forever. And it's made possible through the work of Christ for his people. Do you believe upon Christ? Are, 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 you, are you following this king, the bridegroom who's come for his bride? It's to have intimate, friendly communion with God who forgives you and accepts you not on your merit, never on your merit, but on the merit of your bridegroom and your king. And friends, this, this bridegroom imagery is, is all over the Bible. It's very important throughout Scripture. Um, the prophet Isaiah anticipates this. Listen to Isaiah 61. I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul will rejoice in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Same images as what we see here in in Matthew chapter 9. A wedding, a garment, a time for feasting, not fasting. So here in in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is saying, look, put, put away your sorrow, rejoice. Put away your dead rituals that that come from an insincere heart. In fact, put away the stuff that even comes from a sincere but uninformed heart. How many of you know you can be sincere and yet still be sincerely wrong? Turn to Christ. Surrender to this king's love as a bride embraces her husband. Christ has come to purchase his bride with his own blood and and clothe his bride with his perfect righteousness. You don't have to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. You don't even have to eat only fish on Friday, although it wouldn't hurt you to do it. God doesn't ask you to do that. You who know him, don't be sad in your soul. Your sins are forgiven. You say, well, I don't, I, I don't deserve that. That's the whole point. You, you, you could never deserve that. 
Don't sorrow in your soul. You're accepted by God. Do you enjoy God? You're married to him in Christ. On your best day and on your worst day, you're his bride, you who believe upon Christ, and his kingdom is yours and and will ever be so. So so let me get back to the, the, the question that I asked at the onset. Are you still listening? When you're at work, when you're at home with the kids, the grandkids, when you're with your extended family, you're at school, you know, whatever, um, do you represent your relationship with Christ as, as, as a funeral or a feast? For, for, for the rigid rule keepers, for those who do not believe in his sufficiency, in other words, religious but unsaved, That feigned Christianity is like an endless funeral dirge, isn't it? Just like the Pharisees, so worried that somebody's experiencing joy in God and they've just got to put a stop to it. Notice that Jesus prophesies the purchase price of his buying his bride right here in Matthew 9. Look at verse 15 again. But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. That, that little phrase, taken away, in the LSB has a connotation of violence. Um, when, when the king of glory is crucified to satisfy the wrath of God for his bride, and then buried. That, that will be the time of fasting. Not, not while he's among you, Jesus says to these first century Jews, these interlopers at Matthew's party. And, and even that sorrow won't last all that long because he'll rise from that tomb, amen? N- never to die again assuring his bride's redemption, winning for her an enduring share in his eternal life. Christian, this is your future. This is your inheritance as you trust in your king, your bridegroom. Those of you religious but not trusting in Jesus, Aren't you tired of mere religion? Aren't aren't you tired of waking up every day and just hoping you do the right things to look churchy enough and holy enough to put a smile on God's face? Do you realize that the smile of God is directed at his son and all who are in him? Are you hearing this? John's disciples sincerely wanted to know why fasting was no longer appropriate for the setting that they were looking at at Levi's house. And and I guess you could say um, change was hard for them, just as change is hard for some of us. 
Perhaps the majority of John the Baptist's disciples are now following Jesus, but there's a, there's a few that just have, it just hasn't clicked yet. And change was hard. But, but, but the fact of the matter is what? John the Baptist himself had told his disciples, hey, I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. John 3, verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Think about that. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Does Jesus have you as a groom has his bride? Do you live under his smile, secure in his love for you? Are you devoted to the one who loved you first? Is it relational like that? Do you trust him? Meaning you allow him to lead you even when his leading involves sacrifice. Even when his leading is contrary to feeling. Because that's that's what a marriage is. So we don't want to miss the love song of Christ's bride. She must decrease so that he might increase. Every true follower of Jesus has that thing going on in their life all the time. You decreasing that Christ might increase. So here are the Pharisees. They're simply working at a religion about God rather than walking in relationship with God. John's disciples, they've just kind of missed, at least at this point, the new reality. Change came hard for them. However sincere their question, they, they are sincerely wrong. They were still either in ignorance or, or unbelief, holding Christ at a distance. And I beg you to hear this because we're going in a direction now. Um, you cannot hold Christ at a distance and still claim his benefits as king and savior and bridegroom. That's not a marriage. Well, what does it look like in a practical sense to, to keep Christ at a distance, do you suppose? As if we don't know. It, it looks a lot like being religious outwardly keeping your own familiar ways of relating to God, thinking you can add a little patch of Jesus to to, to an otherwise self-directed life and imagine that his benefits of loyal love and real enablement um, belong to you. How many of you know, any of you here married or you know married people? I mean, marriage at its core is an act of selfless surrender. Loyalty motivated by love. And so it is in our marriage to Christ. 
Look at verse 16. No one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worst tear results. You cannot add Christ to any other religious system. So, so the, the, the bumper stickers that you see in Kootenai County these days, you know, coexist, and then there's a symbol for every, every you know, religious belief system uh, that people can think of. Um, that's actually an offense to God. You, you, you cannot add Christ to any other religious system, even historic Judaism, and think that you're going to get good results. Think that somehow that honors God. The whole thing will be destroyed, says Jesus. God's, even the, the, the law of God, a roadmap for God's people, not a means of being justified. The road does not make the car go. Have you noticed that? The, the map doesn't energize the car to go. And so the law instructs the Christian. In God's ways, but it, but it, but it doesn't energize the Christian. That that's the work of the Spirit of God, married to the believer. That is why, you still with me? That is why trying hard to obey God's law, absent true surrender, absent faith, absent a spirit-given love for God will never yield a Christian life. And you say, well, it looks awfully churchy. Sure it does. But we're not talking about churchy. We're talking about being married to God. Do you mind if this is practical for a moment? Then we'll go back to the other stuff. There's a book called, um, and and it's been around for as long as I've been alive, let's put it that way. So old, but not that old. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called God is Not Dead. It's written by a Presbyterian guy named Gordon Gerard. And, and, and he gives this example in his book of a, of a married couple fighting like cats and dogs at home um, in private. Uh, but outwardly, among their friends at church, everything's fine. Um, so just picture that. Um, neither has any true intention of yielding their heart to King Jesus. Neither one of them. Um, Certainly they're not going to yield to the king in terms of their role as husband or wife. But they imagine that adding a little Jesus patch to this mess that is their marriage, um, to the way they've always conducted themselves, um, will, will kind of make things okay. And, and, and so they go to church, and, and they go to a small group or two. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, the garment's ripped, and they know it. And, and a lot of days, it just seems like there's not enough patches. And Jesus says, you know, a worse tear results. Can't work that way. And there may be a cynic or two here. Are you cynical ever? Or is it just the second service people? <laughs> I mean, there might be a cynic or two here thinking, well, what, you know, what, about, uh, what about polyester, huh? What about spandex? That would, th- these people knew nothing of that. They, they know wool and leather. And you put unwashed wool <laughs> and use it as a patch 
on a garment that's already shrunk, it becomes a disaster. Really, really simple illustration. Meaning what? You cannot have a little bit of the gospel and just add it to your old self-centered life. Yet you must surrender to the king. It, it, it's his robe of righteousness you're meant to wear. Not your patched up old thing. You can't be sort of married to Jesus. You can't be sort of Christian. I remember years ago, um, quick story, years ago, your pastor got pulled over uh, by law enforcement right here in Kootenai County. Um, and I'm here to tell you it's happened more than once. But on, but on this particular time, I, I was at a... It was, it was after an elders meeting, so it was like a sanctified traffic stop. And, but, but it's late at night, and, um, and I honestly had no idea why I was being pulled over. I was just not attentive, hence the rest of the story. And this very kind deputy said, you know why I pulled you over? No idea. He said, you see that stop sign back there? Um, yep. Um, he said, um, you didn't stop. I said, well... I thought I did. And it, it, but I don't even, do, you ever have, do you ever drive and not even remember doing the drive? It was one of those times. And he said, you know, you'll know, sir, you'll know that you've stopped when the wheels aren't turning. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm still trying to milk this sort of stopped thing. And he just very helpfully said, I don't think so. I don't think so. The wheels are still turning. And I wasn't that just stupid. I mean, it's so obvious and so stupid. How stupid is, it, is this, I'm sort of a Christian business? Well, that'll stick, won't it? Listen, you who are patchwork religious people, please hear this. Do you realize that even good things, really good things, are powerless within themselves to change your heart. Walking into this building in and of itself does not change your heart. Going to a counselor here, as good as that is, as good as our counselors are, does not change your heart. Those means of grace energize and sustain hearts already made alive by the grace of God. Add those disciplines to an unregenerate heart, an unsurrendered life in Hosea's terms, an adulterous, idolatrous life. You're still left with an unchristian life. It's not real Christianity. There was another Pharisee, a fellow named Nicodemus, who went to Jesus and heard what? You, you must be born again. No one puts a new patch on an old garment thinking it's going to look good and function like a new garment. You'd never wear that patchwork to a wedding. So here's our second point, and we're making tremendous progress. There's only three, so, so be comforted. Um, Jesus did not come to patch up a sinner's life. The, the, the life some of you are still clinging to 
wondering why it's not working because you've added gospel stuff to it, church stuff to it. He's come to give new life to his people. In the early church, this became a huge issue with those who had turned to Christ but then thought, hey, we we should... reattach this old covenant stuff, uh, the, 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 the traditions and the, the festivals and all of that of, of the Jewish, uh, the, the old covenant rather. And, I, and I'm not going to, I think for the sake of time, I'm not going to go to those passages. But if you, if you read the Colossians 2 stuff, as was suggested, you picked up on that. Jesus plus anything won't save you. Jesus plus anything will not sanctify you. Christ alone is sufficient. And and so Jesus says in verse 17, nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. And just think of what a wineskin is. Just, there's, there's a picture here. Just briefly look at it. You know, people took the skin of a goat or a, a sheep or something, and they, they sewed up the openings where the legs were. I mean, that's kind of a weird picture, but you, get, you can even picture the animal that that came from almost. That's the idea. But as the leather aged, it, it got brittle. It, it got inflexible. And, and you'd put new wine in that, Brittle, inflexible wineskin, new wine is still fermenting. It's still expanding, if you will. It's going to be a disaster. You'd lose the wine and the wineskin. You put new wine in new wineskin and both are preserved. Simple illustrations for first century people living in Palestine. So here's the thing. A would-be Christian's old life apart from Christ, cannot contain the new life that Christ gives. His reign. We sometimes sing this, Lord, reign in me. His reign is ever expanding. It's it's never done until he calls us home or returns for us. Friends, is it possible that your Christianity has grown inflexible, like an, like an old wineskin. Is it possible somebody needs to hear this today? Your king aims to conquer that selfishness, that fearfulness, the self-protectiveness, that favorite sin, that, that addiction, Um, that unwillingness to change, his aim is to continually pour new life, his life into you, but but you just can't accept it. You've become hardened and, and, and inflexible. Is he still making all things new for you? Meaning you're becoming more and more like him. Because he came to make all things new. Not to leave you just as he found you. Do you realize, let me, let me just end with this, and, you, and you've been very patient. Um, do you realize that another wedding banquet is ahead? There, there's, there's another party coming, the scripture says. Our crucified, 
buried, risen king, our bridegroom is coming again to claim his bride. I mean, I pray, Christians, that we're living toward that day. And she will wear the beautiful white robes of his righteousness, new wine from new wineskins, if you will, flowing. Listen to Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She's run to her bridegroom. She's experienced his lavish and loyal love for her. She's continually receiving his forgiveness and grace. She's enabled to live for him, not for some cold religious duty's sake, but because she loves the bridegroom who loved her first. Well, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these parables, these illustrations spoken by our King, Lord, to help us understand that he alone is sufficient for us, sufficient to save, sufficient to sanctify, sufficient to one day glorify. And Lord, he needs nor seeks any help from us. He just calls us to surrender and follow. So Lord, I pray that you would work that among us, work that miracle among people in this place, Lord, to surrender to you, to enjoy you, and live for you from that joy. We pray this for Jesus.